All right, good evening, everybody. There's a lot of people here for a Wednesday. It looks like a Sunday almost now, not, not quite, but <laughs> it is close. It is close, I think. Uh, grab your Bibles tonight. We're going to preach a message. First one to find this passage is, uh, I don't know what you win, but try. Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. I promise you it's in there. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Amos chapter 4. Pastor Phil asked me uh, yesterday if I could preach tonight. You got it, Brother Chris? Amen. Pam got it. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not overly familiar with the book of Amos. I've only read it a little bit here and there. But um, as I was reading my Bible trying to figure out what to preach tonight, what God would lead me to talk about, uh, I read this passage and it really just jumped off the page. And sometimes as it does, Lord prepares you for what you're about to go through. Amen. Whether that's preaching to somebody, whether that's witnessing to somebody, whether that's going through a job interview, whether that's uh, becoming a, a father or a mother, Whatever you're about to go through, the Lord will prepare you for it. He wants you to put him first and seek him first. Seek him and lean on him, and he will absolutely get you ready for what's coming because he knows what's coming. We don't necessarily know, but God does. Amen? All right, so Amos chapter 4, we're going to read about this. Uh, we're going to read the entire chapter, but before we do that, I'm going to pray uh, for help tonight. And uh, my notes are looking a little intimidating. I think I wrote... I wrote too small. I don't even know if I can read my own notes, so we'll just, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll leave it up to the Lord tonight. Amen. All right, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you tonight, Lord, in prayer again, uh, just to ask you for uh, a blessing, Lord, tonight from your word. Uh, as we look into your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us directly, each and every single one of us, Lord, whether we're in this building, whether we're listening or watching online, whatever it is, I pray that you would give us nourishment from your word tonight, exactly what you want us to hear and to read and to see, and I pray that we would be better and uh, changed for it, Lord, for listening to it. So please bless our night, bless all these souls here in Northeast Philadelphia, Lord, as we have church on a Wednesday night, and we lift up the service to you in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Who is Amos? Amos is, uh, he's not a king, he's not a fisherman, he's a farmer, he's a farmer and he's a shepherd. Uh, from Bethlehem. And one unique thing about Amos is he was called by God to be a prophet with no background whatsoever. You know, it wasn't like his father or his mother was somehow involved as a judge or a king or something like that. Amos just, you know, blue-collar guy, just a regular working guy, was called by God to preach. And God sent him from Judah to Israel to go preach to Israel. And this is during the time when the kingdom was split and Judah and Israel did not get along. They were enemies. So he went into Israel to preach, and Israel, <laughs> they didn't really like what he had to say, but he was just following God's word, amen? So we're going to read Amos, we're going to read chapter 4, and what I want to talk about tonight, uh, the hymns we chose were very telling, I want to talk about uh, preparing to meet the Lord, and this message is called, Prepare to Meet Thy God, Prepare to Meet Thy God, we're all going to, we're all going to, some of us sooner than others, but it's all a matter of when. You never know, it could be all of us on the same day if the Lord comes back soon enough, but we're all going to meet God, and not just us in this room, every single person that has and will ever live is going to meet God one day. Amos chapter 4, hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that, lo, the day shall come upon you, that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. 
And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And also I have withholden the rain from you, when there were yet three months to the harvest. And I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew, when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword, and I have taken away your horses, and I have made the stink of your camps to come up unto your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains, and createth the wind, and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Amen. Amos chapter 4. Now Amos is preaching here, and he's preaching seriously, but God is using Amos to deliver a very specific message. And what I want you to pay attention to here is verses 6 through 11. You see, often in these verses, it ends with the same saying. It says, Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God is saying, I did this, I did this, I tried this, I tried this, and no matter what I tried, you did not return to me. Who is God talking to here? I think he's really talking to everyone. I mean, specifically to, to Israel, but do people out there in the world... Do people out there in the world return to God? We all came from God, right? We all came from God originally, and, and to God we will return. But God is trying to get our attention right now. And in verses 6 through 11, God is doing all sorts of things to try and get the attention of the Israelite people. Why? Because God is waiting to see. God is waiting to see who is going to turn back to him. He was waiting to see in Israel who would turn back to him. He is waiting to see right now on this planet who is going to turn back to him. When you go through tough times in life, and I know most of us are saved, and this message might be more for those who are not saved, but people who are lost, who are going through tough times in their life, do you think God is trying to get a hold of them and trying to give them a message, trying to call them back and get their attention? You better believe he is. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? That is what God is seeking after. But this world, so many people in this world put up the best wall they can against God and all his attempts to get to them. But there will come a time when everyone, every single man, woman, and child, everyone who refuses to acknowledge who their creator is will face the consequences of that position. You know, the, 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 the hymns we song, sang tonight, you know, what a day that will be. You know, and, and some of the other ones, you know, when we all get to heaven. Some of these 
hymns are so powerful and so uplifting and so joyful. But I promise you, that day will not be joyful for everyone. That day will not be a celebration for every single person. And in fact, I would say that day will be a horrible day for most people. And so we, as God's people, we need to enjoy and relish and celebrate the fact that we're saved. Amen? But we need to do a little bit more, more than that. So I'm talking about the position that people will have on that day. And I'm going to give you three positions that I think people will have on that day when they have to meet their God face to face. So in Amos 4.12, it says, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet thy God. Let's consider this. Let's talk about, before I get into the three positions, let's consider what this day is going to be like, okay? For a lot of us, those of us who are saved, we're going to be rejoicing to see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to be so happy and so thrilled to see our Savior with his arms outstretched, willing to give us a big hug and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy rest. I like sleep. I like rest. That's going to be fantastic. But what's it going to be like for everyone else? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. I want to take you to two places real quick in Scripture as we consider this day. We'll go to Matthew chapter 7, then we're going to go to Revelation chapter 20. But in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus Christ is speaking to the multitude, to the masses, and he's telling them, he's telling them about how things will be and what the day will be like when people finally meet their God face to face. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, God's word says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus is saying that many will have to depart from him in that day. It doesn't say a few people. It says many, many people will believe that they are okay and will find out that they're not. And that is one of the scariest thoughts I can possibly imagine is thinking you're okay on Judgment Day and finding out that you're not. But let's look at another passage speaking about this day. In Revelation chapter 20, in verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. This is another moment when a lot of people are going to meet God face to face at the great white throne. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face... The earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works." And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is is a terrifying scene in my mind. Because I have to imagine this is speaking about billions upon billions upon billions of souls waiting in line to stand before God. Can you imagine God at the great white throne of judgment with the books on his left hand showing all the wrong things that we've done, all our sins, and then one book, the book of life, 
which is probably a much smaller book than the other books. And every single person that gets up there is waiting to find out what God's going to say to them, waiting to find out if their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Here, raise your hand if you're saved. Amen. Your name's written in that book. Amen. This is not a message to scare you. This, there's a very specific point to this message, but if you're saved today, if your name is written in that Lamb's Book of Life, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. But most people, most people will not have their name written in that book. And people, even in, in hell, people that are dead in hell right now, you see here in Revelation, it clearly says that death and hell are going to give up the dead that are in them, and they're going to have to go stand before God. So this is coming for everyone. We're all going to have to stand before God. But there's three types of people that are going to stand before God on that day. Let's consider these three positions. Number one, the atheist. The atheist. An atheist says in their heart, there is no God. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 53, 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. If you staunchly believe that there is no God, that it's all just a big fabrication, a big lie, I, I will pray for you that someday you reconsider that position before it's too late. But I can tell you in this day and age, atheism is on the rise. Why? Well, we have a little thing called the internet, which came around about 25 years ago, 20, maybe 30 years ago, probably before that, Brian, but I mean mainstream, probably about 25 years ago. But here's what I know about the internet. It's very easy to say whatever you want to say when your face and your persona are hidden. In other words, people will say just about anything they want online, and they're not scared about what they say. So it's easy for an atheist to be bold online. You don't believe me, just go on YouTube. It's full of people spewing whatever they want to spew. They have no, no shame about it. It's harder for someone to be an atheist face-to-face, -face, okay? We went door-knocking on Saturday. We went soul-winning out in a pretty close-by neighborhood. I, I maybe knocked on 20 to 25 doors. I think probably 10 to 12 people answered the door. Only one of them said they were an atheist, okay? Do I believe that more of them than one was probably an atheist? Yeah, maybe, probably, but they weren't willing to say it to my face. They were a little apprehensive. So atheists can be bold online. They're probably not quite as sure of themselves in person, but some of them are. But how is an atheist going to feel standing before the great white throne of judgment, seeing God face to face? I mean, would that be the worst possible situation any human being could find themselves in? I think so. You're staring at the very thing. An atheist is devoted to tearing up Christianity, to slandering the Bible, to ripping up Christians and beating them down and saying God is this and God is that. That's what they're devoted to. So when they have to meet the very God that created them and gave them life in the first place and answer for what they've done, how are they going to feel? I'm going to tell you something. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be deathly afraid because, listen, a lot of atheists have read Scripture. They know how Christianity works. They reject it fully but they know what it says about God. And knowing that, when they stand before God on Judgment Day, they're going to know what God's going to say to them. And they're going to know what they're going to have to pay for that, what the penalty is going to be for their sins and for the rejection of Christ. They're going to know. But they're going to have that anticipation because, listen, when, when billions of people are waiting to be judged, I can't imagine that's a very fast line. Hey, it's eternity. God's got all the time in the world, all the time in eternity. He's not, he doesn't have to rush. You know, is it going to be an atheist has to see what's coming for an, an, an enormous amount of time before they actually get up there? I mean, their heart's going to be beaten out of their chest. Second position. So atheists, thank goodness, atheists are not the common position. It, it's pretty rare to actually meet a true atheist. You find a lot of people who are what they call agnostic. 
In other words, they say, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I have no idea. God might be real. God not, might not be real. But let's call these people, this position on Judgment Day, let's call these worldly people. Worldly. They're not really, they're not saved. They're not born again. They don't say that there is no God. They're not atheists, but they're just, they're just your run-of-the-mill, every which person. Most people that you, you think of, most people that you probably think of fall into this category. They don't exactly know where they stand. They're like... Um, they're like in a big swimming pool, like a big like tide pool, and they got like the floaties on. They're just floating. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really worry too much about where they're going. They're just trying to have a good time living life, right? This is, this is the worldliness because the world wants you to believe that all you should try to do in life is just have a good time and enjoy it before it's over, which is completely the wrong message, but that is the world's message. You know, they break it down into common things like YOLO. You only live once. Well, hey, I'm, I'm going to live twice. Amen. If you're a born-again Christian, you're already living twice. Amen? So that's a lie. Uh, carpe diem, which basically means the same thing, seize the day. You know, it's an older f- form of saying it in Latin, I believe. But listen, it's not a new idea. The world doesn't have any new ideas. The world has had the same exact ideas since it fell into sin, which is we're just going to ignore God, push God away. We're not going to deal with it. Here's my word for worldly people. If atheists are fools, worldly people are procrastinators. Worldly people are procrastinators, and there's going to be a lot of these people on Judgment Day. But here's what I know about them. They never took Jesus Christ seriously enough to make a decision that could save their soul. They thought Christianity wasn't a worthwhile path in life. They didn't think that being a Christian was good enough for the time that they had on this earth. And many of them will assume that the way Bible says, the way that the Bible says salvation works isn't the way it really works. A lot of them will believe that they will be okay when they stand before God and when he opens up those books. A lot of them will think that because of what they've done, I'm a good person, that's going to be good enough for me to get into heaven. There's nothing in the Bible that says being a good person will get you into heaven. Actually, the Bible says if you're righteous, you could get into heaven, but you know what the Bible says? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none good. No one's ever been able to do it. You think you're going to be the first. Well, I, I'll give you that there, there was one. It wasn't you. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ was good enough to live a perfect sinless life. And I don't want to offend you, sir or ma'am, but I don't think you're as good as Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to bet my eternity on it. But these people are going to have to wait and see if what they're hedging their bets on is going to work out for them on Judgment Day. And if, if it was me, I would be just as scared. Judgment Day, seeing the books being opened up. Just as scared as an atheist, I think the worldly people will be. What does Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 say? We just read it. Matthew, 22, Matthew 7, 22 says, Many, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. These are people that think they're good. They think they're, they think they're all right. You know, I talked, to, I, didn't, I talked to one person on Saturday that was saved and born again, amen? It seems like there's always one, and that's a blessing. But everybody else that I talked to that didn't just excuse themselves for whatever reason, you know, the three or four people that I got to talk to at length, they all fall in this category. You know, some of them had pretty good ideas. Some of them were trying to, you could tell they're trying to live right, they're trying to do good things. It's just not clicking for them. They don't realize what's at stake. And when someone tells them what really is at stake, that your eternity is on the line, they procrastinate and push it away. Because it's easier to hide than to make that decision. 
Listen, all of us got saved, amen? If you're in the room today, God bless you. I hope you're saved. If you're not, I hope you're listening very carefully. But listen, how many of us got saved on the first shot? How many of us heard the gospel, heard the good word about Jesus Christ, and the same day said, yes, Lord, I want to get saved, and I want to do it right now? How many of us? It's not the norm. It it, it takes time. And why is it that we, all of us, why did we push it away the first time we heard it? Why did we procrastinate? Because it's easier than making the decision. It's easier to push it away and just say, hey, I'm young, (laughs) I'm I'm still 20, I'm still 30, I'm still 70, I got time. Well, you got time until you don't. (laughs) And sooner or later, you don't have time. But human beings have a remarkable propensity to procrastinate, literally to their own doom. You know, as a school school person, when I was in public school, I procrastinated all the time. There was one day, there, there was a project due in my social studies class, and we knew about it for like three or four weeks ahead of time, right? And I said, ah, I, I got time. A week goes by. It's still two weeks at a time. I say, ah, I got time. I got time. I'm going to play my video games. Another week goes by. I still got time. I waited until the morning it was due. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. and do the project, right? 4 a.m. rolls around. My alarm clock goes off. Did I wake up? No. <laughs> I went back to sleep. 6 a.m. I wake up and I say, oh, the bus is here in an hour and a half. Can I finish this project? And I start looking at it. And that's when it dawned on me. I said, there's just no way. There's just no way. It's impossible. So I get, to church, I get to school, and the teacher says, oh, Rob, where's your project? And I said, well, I didn't do it. And the look on my teacher's face was just, she was aghast. Like, she couldn't believe that I just didn't even make an effort. Like, I could have made at least, like, a D-plus effort. I didn't even do that. I walked in empty-handed. But the moral of that story is, and I guarantee you, at least most of us, we've probably all been there, procrastination is so deadly because you could procrastinate about a lot of things, but the worst thing you could possibly procrastinate about is where your soul is going to spend eternity. And if you think it's wise to procrastinate about making a decision as to whether or not you'll follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you're rolling the dice and playing with fire. Literal hellfire is what you're playing with because if you don't have enough time and if you don't accept Christ and if you don't make that decision, someday you're going to pay a penalty for all eternity. And it's a penalty that God doesn't want you to pay. But it's a penalty that we all deserve because God is holy and just. And he has to destroy sin. He has to punish it. So there's the worldly. There's the atheists. But there's a third position of people that are going to be standing before the Lord, meeting him face to face. And those are born-again believers saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? What do we know about these people? They love the Lord their God. They also fear God. They have a healthy respect for God. And there's one thing that they have that the world can never replace. They have peace. They have peace. Look in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know why we can sing these songs about getting to heaven and celebrating and being joyful? Because we know that we're saved, amen? If you're not saved, I don't think you can sing that song and enjoy it because I think you'll know, you'll know deep down that you don't have peace in your heart. You don't have peace in your soul. But the Bible says that those who are saved, those who are indwelling the Holy Spirit, 
The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. No matter how bad life gets, I can always rest in the fact that I'm saved. And that gives us a way to de-stress and alleviate the the burdens of life that non-Christians just don't have. And so it's really no wonder that when you talk to somebody, they're always cursing, they're always uh, flying off the cuff and they can't seem to just settle down. They don't have any peace. And when they do have, when they do finally act calm, they're, they're just, they're doing it just for a short time before they, they can't handle it anymore. And some of them, you talk to them about getting saved, they might get agitated and they might start getting all crazy on you because they know, they know where they stand and they would rather just not face the truth, as sad as that is. So who's going to be afraid to meet God face to face? Honestly, I, I think all of us should be in some, some respect. You know, I, I think if we're saved and we're born again, we know that we're good. But still, seeing God face-to-face for the first time, I think is going to be extremely intimidating and humbling. And I, I think there's going to be nothing like it that we can possibly really prepare for truly. Because we can't imagine the holiness of God, what that's going to look like, and what that's going to feel like to even be in his presence. You remember in the Old Testament how carefully the priest, the Levitical priests, took care of things before they even went into the temple or before they even went into the tabernacle? They had a reverence and a fear for God that is really lacking in this world today. Um, but we're going to feel every single, <laughs> every single uh, shred of that on that day when we meet God face to face. But the sad thing is, and this is, uh, is, I think, where the world goes so critically wrong, and this, this includes believers too, many people do not realize just how much they depend on God. So many people have no idea how much they depend on God. Um, if God is the reason that you exist today, raise your hand. That's a a surefire question, amen? Listen, because God created humanity, that's why I'm here, because God made me too, I'm here. Well, if I ask people out there in the world, will they say the same thing? And if they don't, what what the heck are they going to, where do you think your life comes from? If God didn't make you, how do you exist? They can't answer that question. They'll give you a bunch of nonsense. Some definition they saw in a philosophy book or a textbook that doesn't make any sense either. But life is a gift from God. And you see, truly, truly, we do not deserve the Lord's blessings. We really don't. You know, Adam and Eve, I guess before the original sin, when they were in the garden in fellowship with God, I think they, God would say, hey, they, they haven't done anything wrong. They deserve what I'm doing for them. But all of us have fallen short. Like, we don't deserve anything that God could do good for us. We really don't. And people these days, they act as if they're unaware of what God is doing for them. And you know what that does to people? When people don't have a foundation of understanding how good God is and how much God sustains their life and keeps them, they start becoming bitter and angry. And instead of being thankful to God, they start blaming God. They become envious, jealous, spiteful, discontented. All the nasty things that come out of people, I think a lot of them are because people are not appreciative of what God has done for them. But listen, I've heard people that are angry at God, like literally mad at God, like they have a bone to pick with God. Like, I can't deal with this. You know, God did something to me and I'll never forgive him. Hold on a second. Who do you think you are From what position of authority do you think that you can tell God what he should or should not do to you? From what position of authority could any of us say that? 
I mean, the truth is we don't have any authority. We don't have any status. We don't have any power. There's nothing that we could say to God that we could tell him what he should or should not do with us. And yet people act like they are entitled to that. People act like they're entitled to live their life however they want, and it's none of God's business what they do. Well, listen, if God gave you life, everything you do is God's business. Listen, if you're a parent and you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. What your kids do, it matters. And it's not as if they could just go do whatever they want. (laughs) That's not how people parent. You know, I, I firmly believe that God uses parenting to help us understand how God has to deal with every single one of us. Because, listen, if my kids try to tell me what to do, and if my kids try to tell me what I should or should not do to them, I'm going to say, no, you got it all wrong, sir or ma'am. That's not the way it works. I'm your father. You have to do what I say. And if you don't like it, someday I hope you'll understand that it's for your own good. God's like that with all of us. God is like that with all of us. We might as well be toddlers (laughs) with the way we sometimes foul things up. And the world out there, they're they're like rebellious teenagers. They're the worst of the worst, (laughs) you know? But... But we, we have no right to challenge God on any authority. And if you want to live your life as an angry person, bitter against God until the very end when he sentences you, what do you gain from that? Is, is it to say, ha, oh, I made it through my whole life without accepting Christianity. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of myself. Well, you're going to sing a different tune when you see God, when you see Jesus Christ, when you see your name not written in that book. And when God tells you what's about to happen to you, you're going to sing a very different tune. You know, and so because of that, why would you wait? Like, if, if you know what's going to happen, why? Why would you wait? You know what the true story of Earth is? The true story of the planet Earth. The true story of the planet Earth is it's a bunch of humans arguing and fighting over God's stuff. Let me say that again. This planet is nothing more than a bunch of human beings arguing and fighting over things that rightfully belong to God. Because everything in this world belongs to God. Who made it? We didn't make it. It was here before we got here, right? Amen. God made it. It belongs to the Lord. The whole universe belongs to God. Your soul, every fiber of your being belongs to God. How do you have free will? It's a gift. It's a blessing. And God is rich in blessings, and God pours out blessings on this world just to try to get this world to take a look at him and say, I'll return to you, God. You know what? I see all the things that you've put me through, and I'm going to say, yes, I do want to turn back to you, and I want to acknowledge who my creator is. But so many do not. And let's think about the blessings that people aren't even aware of, okay? What if God, what if God took all of the blessings that all of us enjoy us here in this room and everyone out there included, what if God removed all the blessings from us in one moment in the twinkling of an eye? How many of us will be able to withstand such a drastic and harsh change? And when I say all of God's blessings, here's what I'm talking about. Oxygen, food, water, clothing, family, shelter, money, work, friends, church, pets, time, safety, warmth, love, forgiveness, free will, youth, Health, vitality, scripture, salvation, life, comfort, peace, rest, and sleep. If you lost all those things in an instant, would you be okay? Would anyone be okay? And the truth of the matter is, everything that I just mentioned is a gift from God. 
That's what I truly believe. We should be thankful for everything on that list because none of it's guaranteed. And God didn't put us here to just have fun and then it's all done. God wants us to realize who he is. God wants us to come to an understanding of salvation and love and put our faith in him and him alone. That's what God wants us to do is to have a relationship with him. If I, as a father, raised up my kids and said, well, I'm not going to, I don't really care what they think about me. What kind of father would I be? I'd be a deadbeat dad. I wouldn't be a good dad at all. Well, let me tell you something. Your heavenly father is a loving father. He's a caring father, and he knows you personally. And he went to the cross to die for you personally, just to have a chance for you to get saved. That's how much God loves you. Amen? And as a father, there's no better love than God's love. But we are so much more dependent on God than I think we realize. Because even as I'm standing up here breathing, I have to thank God for that. My heart is still beating. I have to thank God for that. These things don't have to continue. God could change them in an instant. You know, how many people do we pray for tonight that are battling cancer? God can change your health in an instant, and you have no control over it. So you have to admit that your health is a blessing from God, and not just for born-again believers, for everyone. You realize how good is God is to every single sinner out there, the worst of the worst. God is still pouring out blessings upon them to sustain their life long enough that they might have one more chance to get saved. We don't know if they'll accept it. But see, God is doing it whether they accept it or not. Do you believe that that's, can you understand that kind of love? What kind of God would die for a people even if all of them ultimately rejected him, he would still do it? That's the God we serve. That's the degree of God's love. He died for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us not knowing if he would get anything in return, not knowing if we would accept him or not, and he did it anyway. He thought that we were worth that. Everything in life, everything, is given by the free, unmerited grace of God. God's free grace provides everything that we have. And meeting God in eternity is going to be, I think, the scariest moment for most people that have ever lived. Because you think about those people in Matthew 7, 22. You know what they're going to be doing. You know what the mood of that crowd is going to be. I mean, imagine you have the the born-again saved believers over here. We're rejoicing, and we're singing praises to the Lord, and we're, we're so thankful that we're saved. But are we going to be able to see what everyone else is going through? Are we going to be able to see those people in Matthew chapter 20, chapter 7, verse 22, that are crying out, begging and pleading with the Lord to change his mind, to do something about it, to say, Surely, Lord, what I've done is good enough that you could let me in. I mean, people are going to be hysterical. You will never see anything like it in your entire existence, I don't believe. Because you're going to see people that are ultimately broken and broken down and trying to beg on anything they have before God, but they never accepted his son. And when God looks at them, he sees their sins. And if God sees your sins on that day, There's nothing in the world that can save you at that point. The only thing that can save you on that day is if God cannot see your sins. And the only way for God to not see your sins is you're cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the only way to become cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ is to become born again as a Christian. Born again and saved by the power of Jesus Christ. Saved by faith in what he did for you on the cross. Procrastination. I dare say. It's not just something that claims people in school (laughs) and gives them bad grades. Procrastination is something that claims lives. 
And procrastination sends people to hell instead of to heaven. That's how bad and that's how deadly this is. We should seek salvation in Christ alone. And consider this. God gave up everything for you. Why would we not give up everything in this temporary life to gain everything in eternity with him? Think about what a trade-off that is. You're trading this, this life. Even at the best of times, it's still, it's always like there's, there's like, you might be having the best day of your life. That means the next day is not going to be as good, right? There's, there's always something around the corner, and, and there's age, and there's time, and there's, there's bills and taxes. I don't know. Take your pick. But why would we want to cling to this instead of clinging to Christ in eternity and clinging to heaven and clinging to the riches of our Father, which are true riches? The only way to survive the encounter, the only way to survive on that day when we all have to meet God face to face, the only way to survive is to be born again, to be saved by the perfect sacrifice that Jesus Christ laid down for you on the cross. And so if you're not saved, you don't wait. Please don't wait. How many, how many chances are you going to get? If you're not saved and you don't get saved right now, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online or whether you're listening, whenever it is, if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ and settle it right now, you have no guarantee that you will survive that encounter when you meet God face to face. And every single person will meet God face to face. That includes you. So I implore you to make that decision before it is too late. And for all of us who are saved, what we do is so critical. I want to leave you with a final illustration and we'll close. But we know, we know where we're going to spend eternity. Thank God. That's why we're here on a Wednesday night, right? We're praising the Lord. We're singing songs to him. We're, we're focused on heaven and the goodness of heaven, and we should be. But you know what it's like for all of us. Imagine you're in a, imagine you're in a war zone. I mean, we've we got a few of them raging around the world right now, just a total chaotic war zone. And imagine you're an ambulance driver, you're a medic, and you have the ability to take a wounded person to the hospital. But you're, you're too... You don't feel like driving your ambulance that day. You don't feel like getting behind the wheel. You don't feel like putting yourself maybe in harm's way or discomfort to go deal with sick and broken people out there who need help. Instead, you'd rather just sit at home and sit back and, ah, somebody else will do it. Well, listen, every single one of us is like an ambulance driver because we have the good, we have the good news. We have the gospel. Peter was given the keys to heaven and hell. That's what God said to him. And that is to say... What we do with people, how we interact with people, whether we lead them to the Lord or not, will determine where they're going to spend eternity. And if every single one of us is like an ambulance driver that can put lost people in our ambulance and take them to the good physician, the great physician, to get saved and to get help, who are we if we don't step behind the wheel? Who are we letting down? We're not just letting God down. We're letting, down, we're letting lost people down. And some of those people, can you imagine people that Maybe you see on Judgment Day that you know personally, and they never accepted Christ, and they knew that you could have done something about it. Maybe you could have tried a little harder. Maybe you could have called them that one last time. Maybe you could have visited them, visited them that, that next time. Whatever it is that you could have done, are they going to look at you? I, I don't have a good answer for that. It, it may be the case, and that's a horrible thought. But listen, we need to saddle up. We need to buckle our seatbelts. We need to get behind the wheel. We need to pile people up in this ambulance and get them out here to church. I don't know what it takes. I don't, I don't care what it takes, but 
Every single day, people are dying, and they're dying in their sins, and they're damned to eternity in hell. That is the truth. Only those of us who are born again are going to escape that. And it's not right. It's not right if we don't tell people about it and do as much as we can. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for giving us, Lord, the ultimate gift that we never deserved, Lord, which was the ability to get to know you and the ability to become born again and the ability to be saved from our sin, Lord. We've all fallen short. There's none good. There's, there's not even one, Lord. Only you are good. But I thank you, Lord, that by your love, by your mercy and your grace, you made a way, Lord. You made a way that no one else ever could. Only you could do it, Lord, and you did it. And I thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, that all of us in these days, that we would be bold, Lord, to hand out tracts, to tell people about you, to witness, to not hide our faith, Lord, but to put it out there for everyone to see, like a lighthouse, like a beacon on a hill, that people could come to us at least and ask us, what is the reason for the truth, and what is the source of the peace that we have? And we could give them that answer, and that answer is you, Lord, that answer is Jesus Christ. Uh, may we all be bold, Lord, in these days. And help us tonight as we, as we go home. Please give us safe travels. Lord, please put it on our minds who we should think about, Lord, that we can share the gospel with. And give us a burden that won't go away, Lord, until we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Let's all stand. This Bible says let's prepare to meet God. Let's prepare. Let's change our hearts. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's get rid of sin out of our life. Let's prepare to meet him. God spoke to your heart. Come on down and pray. How can you prepare more in your life as a Christian, as a child of God? Maybe there's some sins you struggle with. You, you know God would allow those same sins to teach you lessons, to show you how good his mercy is in your life and show you how strong his grace is to help you conquer and live a victorious Christian life. There's nothing God can't handle. You bring it before the Lord. Let him do what he does best. Come as a sinner, leave forgiven. Come broken, leave healed. Come in sorrow, leave rejoicing. Come hungry, leave full.
Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for that wonderful, great message, Lord, you, you gave for us this evening. Lord, help us to uh, be in preparation to meet you, Lord. We, we will all meet you and um, help us, Lord, to meditate upon that. And, Lord, let your word go deep, Father, and let it fall on good ground, Lord, and return um, fruit, Lord, for your honor and glory. I pray, Lord, that you would just work on all of us, Lord. We uh, give you ourself. We're, we're nothing. We're sinners. And, uh, Lord, we're not worthy to even come to you, Lord. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're made worthy, and you've accepted us. And we thank you for that. Lord, if anyone here is not saved, I pray for their salvation first and foremost, that they may know that they have their sins forgiven and that they may know that they're a child of God and that they may know that they have eternal life. Lord, we pray that you would bless us this evening and give us safety as we go home and keep us uh, close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Rob, for that wonderful message.